When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, beautiful human. Thank you so much for clicking or tapping on our conversation with Bob the Drag Queen. It is an honor to be in your ears today. And our conversation with this icon is being delivered to you by GoPuff. GoPuff is the go-to delivery app for me. And it should be the go-to delivery app for you. Try it out. You can save $10 off your first two orders. Just use my code Zach10. And I'm telling you, GoPuff is unlike any other convenience store. Thousands of items available in the palm of your hand. Delivered to your home or to your studio instantly. There's no place like it. GoPuff is the best. Their prices make me happy. And their quickness, oh, just takes the stress out of it. Whatever I need, even at the last second, they're always there for me. And they're down to be there for you too. Try out GoPuff. Zach10 will save you $10 off your first two orders. Now let's get to our conversation with Bob the Dry Queen. Beautiful human in the studio hanging out with us right now is Bob the Dry Queen. Woo! Oh wow! What a, I, I I love the the applause. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's it's both weak and hearty at the same time. Yeah, because it's two people, but you know, and, and oh, too much would be wild. Yeah, too yeah. much would feel patronizing. <laughs> you don't want me to stand. You don't want me to give you a real yeah. round round of applause. Yeah, like claps. But 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 you know, a respectful round of applause from two people is is acceptable. <laughs> so honestly, you are a superstar. You won. A season of one of my favorite shows of all time. Oh, thank you. Well, oh, you hear that every day, right? Like people come up to you nonstop. Yes. Well, maybe not every day anymore because you know I won Drag Race um, six years ago. Yeah, but you're still out there. But I am still out here. <laughs> so a lot, a lot of people, you know, I, every once in a while someone goes congratulations, and I'm like, oh, it's, a little <laughs> it's like congratulating Kelly Clarkson on winning American Idol. It's like, thanks, thank you. But genuinely, a show that gives people the opportunity to get a glimpse of you not just as your drag persona but as your actual being even though your drag and i want to break this down a little bit because i am very interested in the art of drag mm -hmm. i again i watch drag queen i've gone to a bunch of different drag bars all across the country i love me some kansas city like i really can't say that's great drag yes yeah. um uh oh mohart yeah mohart and then uh God, uh, who was just a couple seasons ago? Her name is uh, the Widow Von Du. Widow Von Du. I yeah. saw her. I'm like a drag race encyclopedia you and watched, drag queen encyclopedia in general. You've seen every episode. Yeah, of course. Yeah, How and, and 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 I also know a lot about like a lot of local queens and stuff. I I I just love drag. So when you, what is the scene like today? How would you describe it? Well, the, the truth is, I'm not really a part of the local drag scene anymore. You know, I went back to New York City and I went to a gay bar and I was like, I don't know any of these. I don't know any of you. There was a there was a period of time in New York City where anyone who put on a wig, I knew who she was. <laughs> any bitch with a wig on her head, I knew her. You know what I mean? 
But now I go to I go to New York and I'm like I don't even know any of these people and, and then I walk in the bar and they're like oh my god Bob you're you're they, they tell like I'm like like I'm like I'm like I'm a legend? ancient history yeah. they're like <laughs> I used to. <laughs> So I grew up so. watching you. Yeah, stuff like that. People who like were watching me on Drag Race when they were in, I don't even know what grade or how old they were. So is there like a farming system to make, like there's ranks to drag queens and performances and even cities that are like the hardest to compete in, correct? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, for sure. New York City is probably the toughest city in the world to be a drag queen in. It's really, there's a lot of competition you know, every every uh, kid from Amda and Tish and, you know, Ada is uh, throwing on a pair of heels to come down to the to the bar and, and, uh, and you know, twirl a one-two and tell some jokes. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of competition. You know, New York City is a place where, where most of the drag queens were performers before they were drag queens. So they, they didn't, like, cut their teeth in performing with drag. They, they learned it. Um, they learned, you know, the art of drag after learning how to perform. So, as it relates, to, I mean, do you remember the day you first put on a wig? Yeah, I remember. I remember very well, actually. I remember. I mean, I remember the first time I got dressed in drag. The first time I ever went out in drag. First time I did a performance. First time I did a number. They were all different occasions. Where were you when you first put on a wig? When I first put on a wig to do drag, I was um, in my apartment in Long Island City, Queens, um, and I had gone to Ben Nye, which is a stage makeup company. Went to their website and bought a, a makeup kit. And I I got dressed in drag and I and I took pictures with my roommate on a really crummy camera. The pictures are so blurry. And I was wearing a, a tan dress from the Goodwill, um, and this gold, black and silver belt. It's like mixed metals, but it was all like leather belt. Um, and I just stood in the house and took pictures, and then I just took it all off and. And went to sleep. <laughs> what did it? What does it feel like when you take drag off today? Oh, well, it depends on what I'm doing. If I'm wearing a corset, you know, it's pain. It it, it hurts. I, it feels like a relief. Yeah. I usually have to pee, <laughs> like because <laughs> right, right, I've been holding it the whole time. Um, it you know it, it feels like it feels like I've had a very successful work day, and mm -hmm. I'm at the end of my work day, and I'm like, ooh, I, I I did a whole day's work. What was it like when you took it off for the first time? Um, the first time. I just remember being like, "Well, that was fun. Let's see where this goes." Like, like I, I don't. It wasn't. If it was a movie, it wouldn't be like one of those moments where it was like, and like the lights. Like I looked bad. Like I felt fierce, but I didn't look good. I knew I didn't look good, but I was just having fun, and I was just, you know, I was just really young and having fun. I was twenty-two. So you didn't look good, but that is something you learn, right? That's a skill that you have to acquire. You said the makeup didn't look good. I'm sorry. You, you, no, no, you it, it, it didn't look good. None of it looked good. The outfit was bad. The wig was bad. <laughs> the makeup was bad. Everything was bad. They were nice shoes. So I had a nice pair of shoes on. Th that's, hey. That pair like thigh-high, um, stiletto, like maybe like four-inch oh. heels. They're supposed to be thigh-high, but I mean they're knee-high because I'm very tall. <laughs> so all my thigh-highs end up coming to my knees. Sister, that's called a foundation. There it is. Yeah. You built something great upon that. <laughs> so, I mean, I you know, over the years I figured it out and, and I learned how to um, entertain through drag specifically. And I learned how to do my makeup and, you know, get my body to, to a way that I like it. Get my makeup to a way that I like it. I also get help from people. I hire costume designers, um, wig stylists, makeup artists. Yeah. But at first it, you had to figure it out, yeah? Did you teach yourself? 
Yeah, I taught myself. Yeah, I mean, I taught myself well enough to win RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> but 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 at what point between you getting into drag for the first time in Long Island City, and like after that, like when do you realize that this could be something of legitimacy that could provide you not just like as an escape, but also financial freedom or stability? Well, you know, I went out to go see my to see people, drag queens performing, and a lot of them had other jobs. A lot of the drag queens, even in New York City, had other jobs, especially back then, back in like two thousand nine, two thousand eight. And I was just so impressed with with what they were doing. But I just wanted to have fun. It really was just fun for me. Like I, I love performing, and every once in a while, I would I would compete every week, twice a week, to try to win one hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> and I think I I think I competed for two years. And I think I won one time. I think. Maybe wow. one time, um, I, I would get tips and stuff, but I, but I, I, I was hemorrhaging money. Like it, it was never enough money. But then um, I got a gig at this bar called Excess Lounge. It doesn't even exist anymore. You spend twenty two between seven and eight. Um, that sounds like such a New Yorker. I, we, both of us. <laughs> it was on twenty two between seven and eight called Excess Lounge. It's I think it's a hotel now. Huh. I don't know what it is now. I could order our apartments or something. And um, every Monday night I was there with my friend Frosty Flakes, who was my best friend at the time. And we just were doing this gig. We got paid $50 a night and tips. We did the gig for, I think, two years. By the end, I was getting paid, I think, $100 a night plus tips, which was huge for me. Uh-huh. I was, I was, and I was still waiting tables and doing children's theater and uh, real estate. So I, did, I, I had a lot of careers <laughs> in the midst of my uh, journey to drag being full time, and then it became full time. I started working at a restaurant called Lucky Chang's. So you're a drag queen, but you're also a waiter and a bartender and a show hostess. And I would do all those gigs um, while um, while in drag. So and that was when that was one time I quit. My, I, I worked at a real estate co- um, office, and my office closed with no warning. I just came to work one day. What? <laughs> and there was a note on the door at my real estate office. And it just said, this office is closed. And they owed me like some money. <laughs> and I was like, man, I'm not I'm not gonna get that money. So then I was like, well, I'm out of a job, so I better like I guess I better try to make this work. And you did. Yeah. So that you were kind of forced out of it essentially. Kind of. I mean, I, I was still I was do I was making money in drag and making money in real estate at the same time. But once I lost my real estate job, I just decided to just uh, lean all the way in. Thankful for it. Yeah, and just see what what could come of it. Because it was really hard to get a show in New York City back then. I'm sure it's even harder now. I bet it's way harder now. Oh. But it felt it felt impossible to get a show back then because there were so many great performers. Keisha Carr, Peppermint, Pixie Aventura, Mimi I'm First, um, Thorgy, uh, Holly Day, um, Monet Exchange, Shaquita, um, Jack, Jackie Dupree, Marty Gold Cummings, like all these queens you had to compete with. Logan Hardcore, who all had these like really big personalities. We all have big personalities, but they had gigs. You know what I mean? Do you Tina Burner. I'm like, I can go on for days. But were you afraid of that competition or did you you wanted to rise to it? No, they were my friends. So they you were didn't my see friends. competition. No, it's not a competition, but they, but it was friendly competition. It was never like it's not like the cutthroat stuff you see in movies. Totally, because we weren't we weren't pageant queens. You know what I mean? We we were bar bar queens. Like we would <laughs> we would give each other gigs. Like come do my show, I'll do your show. Oh, respect. Yeah, come you know come see me, I'll come see you. I'll tell my friends to go see you. Um, we we would sew together. So we really we really it was it was a real community. When did you realize you were really good at this? 
You know, I would say I did a pageant. I won a pageant a long time ago. Um, and it was my se- second time doing the pageant. My first year, I, I didn't do that well. Second year, I said, I'm going to come back. I'm going to do this again. And I just remember the crowd going crazy. And they kept being like, they kept telling me like, wow, you're really good. You're amazing. There was this other queen named Dusty Pouchet, who I'll never forget. She's still a friend of mine. She was out in Kansas City. Um, and she was like, she, uh, everyone was like, she's the one to beat. And one of my closest friends said, aren't you nervous going up against someone like Dusty Pouchet? And I said, I remember like, not really. And then everyone was, she was like the one to beat and I beat her. And, and I and I was like, oh my god, I could. There's no way I beat her, but I did. Why do you think you beat her? Um, I guess people just connected to the number I did that night. Maybe my Q and A. I did this number where I um, it was I did I am changing from Dreamgirls, <laughs> and I came out on a hand truck like Hannibal Lecter, <laughs> with a mask and a straight jacket, and then I. I like busted out of the straight jacket and then I pulled the trick from the, the Broadway where you zoom in. The spotlight is just the spotlight is just <laughs> on your face. And then when it zooms out, you're in a whole new outfit and the crowd just kind of went oh, crazy. Wow. And I had this, uh, this, I used to, my name used to be kitten with a whip. I used to carry a whip everywhere I went at the end of the number. I did this big, like whoosh, this big whip crack that like rang through the auditorium and everyone just jumped to their feet and went crazy. It was, it was a really addictive feeling. Why'd you move away from Kent with Whip? Well, everyone kept calling me Katie or Kitty or Kate or Cat, and I was like, "That's not my name." <laughs> I just, I was like, "That's not my name." My name was Kitten. Um, and then one day, I was in a bar, and, and this guy called me Kim, and I thought it was so funny. I was like, "Yeah, because Kim's a drag name." Mm-hmm. Hey, guys, I'm Kim, Kim the drag queen. And then every time I come back up, I would change my name to something even more plain. I am Kate, Kate the drag queen. And then by the end of the night, I was like, and please give it up for your host. I'm Bob, Bob the Drag Queen. And I was like, this is actually kind of funny. And I told my friends I was going to change my name. They were like, please don't. It's so bad. <laughs> and I was like, you can't stop me. It's iconic. Well, thank you. It's, it's so bad, it's good. Yes, that's... <laughs> well done. Yeah, well, thank you. R.I.P. to... Uh, Kitten with a Whip. With it's an old Anne Margaret movie. So you can't, you can't even remember no, it. No one could remember it. It's no. an old Anne Margaret movie. But there's a difference in the personalities between the two. Dragons? No, I don't, really ha- I don't really have a um, persona. Okay. You know, for me, drag is really just uh, Bob the Drag Queen is a nickname for me, a name that a lot of my friends call me in, in my day-to-day life. And, you know, my, my, my costumes are just my work clothes, but I don't have a persona. I don't have, like, a different backstory or I'm not, like, I don't behave differently. Um, I'm just myself, but just dressed up exaggerated version of yourself maybe maybe if i'm on stage telling jokes but that's even when i that was even when i was before i did drag if i'm on stage i would do an exaggerated version of myself because it's for entertainment purposes but not backstage not in interviews not in um not in interpersonal relationships you know i'm really just me so like i don't have one of those personalities where if you see me in an interview, I'm like, yes, Miss Mama, let me tell you how to pop a fan, honey. I'm gonna teach you how to purr and skinner oh purr. Like I don't I don't really talk like that. Um, I don't go, yes, Miss Thing, Miss Honey, Miss Box Boots down the house, Miss Wit. Um I mean I use some of that vernacular in my day to day language, but not in like a It just made me sweat. But not in like a, you know, re- regurgitating the drag yeah. lexicon. Do people expect that of you though? 
Maybe, but I don't give it to them, so they have to, they have to quickly pay. shift their expectations. Or come and see a show. <laughs> if you want to come see a show, but I don't do that on I don't do that on my shows either. I don't my shows aren't me going, yes, Miss Honey, <laughs> y'all ready to laugh for your nerd. <laughs> like that's just that's just you even if you pay, you're not gonna get that for me. How many versions of a stage show do you have ready to go that you could just tap into? Well, I mean, oh, I mean, I've done a few shows over the years. I did a show called Crazy Black Lady a couple of years ago. I have my stand-up. I have, yes. I, I have two stand-up specials, uh, Suspiciously Large Woman and Bob the Drag Queen Live at Caroline's. Um, <laughs> I, and, I, and, of course, I have my old standards when I used to work at Barracuda Lounge, or as we call it, Barracuda Bar, Lounge, Grill, and Spa, uh, <laughs> where I would, where I would um, you know, it was mostly stand-up, current events, and a lot of um, drag numbers. So, uh, okay. When do you, I want to like kind of keep like a, a little flow here in terms of timeline. Mm -hmm. I want to know when you want to like post winning Drag Race. 2016. Do you dive right into music? Do you know you want to do music? Do you really want to do comedy? And you know that it can lead into other areas, music included. So I've always liked making music. Um, I used to rap. I used to do rap battles in my high school in the courtyard. We would have these big rap battles, and I would I would always participate in the rap battles. I love sick. I love rapping, and I and I had a song called Big Bitch that I wrote years ago when I was like, when I was still in like in my drag infancy. I wrote it was to the. Uh, do you know the song She Got a Donk by Soldier Boy? <laughs> She got a dunk. Yeah, she got a dunk. Yeah, it's it's also <laughs> the same beat that Nicki Minaj uses in Itty Bitty Piggy. Uh. It's the same beat she used it on her mixtape. Anyway, I wrote I wrote a uh, big bitch this song. It, I, I never really it was it was like because I'm a big bitch, big hair, big style, big heels, big talk backed up with big skills, big B I T C H. I keep it real, bitches. Please don't hate. And I had hey. this whole song that I would do at the clubs. Um, and I would write, and, and and I just was I just loved writing. So when I came home from Drag Race, I told my friend Mitch Reno that I wanted to do a song called Purse First. I said I had this purse that I was obsessed with, and I wanted to write a song about it. So he let me. He helped me. Um, write the song he, he did the music and I did all the lyrics for the song and I, I remember kind of being like I kind of wanted to maybe sound like this and then he did the the track and and I've done a few and I've done a few songs since then you know oh, yet another yeah. dig uh bloodbath bitch like me bitch like me which is um my most, most recent single yes. yeah which I'm very very proud of I, I I really one day I need to do like a breakdown of my lyrics on YouTube <laughs> or something because I don't think people even appreciate some of the greatness that went into so is the guy that you worked on purse first with still involved in your music at all sometimes he, he helps me with stuff sometimes so i have cool. a song coming out november 3rd called black and he uh helped me create that when he started it off but then someone named ocean kelly helped me finish it up ocean kelly uh, also helped me do bitch like me he produced uh bitch like me yeah so okay you start with writing a rap you then exit drag race you go for purse first what about purse first and that record makes it clear that you got to keep digging into this music ditch. I also wrote a song before, right before, like after filming, but before it aired. Maybe it was, I can't remember, but it was called, uh, <laughs> it was a Christmas song. Oh, you did. Called Decaho. <laughs> and I was like, Decaho, if she gets mouthy, fa la 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 la, la 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 la, when the popo comes, bitch, I'm outy, fa la la. Like, I think that's a, that's a timeless one. <laughs> And it, sometimes, sometimes my sense of humor and my music really have a crossover. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not quite Lil Dicky. It, it's not quite Weird Al. I was just gonna say it's not. It's Bob the Drag Queen. It's Bob the Drag Queen. Yeah, but it, it, it's it's uh, there. There is often a, a sense of humor in my music. So, uh, and I've listened to the records. We're gonna play uh, "Bitch Like Me." 
but when you're when you're sitting down to put together a record are you writing from what perspective i, I mean where is that story coming from is it coming from so you bi- bob bitch like me started because i was uh i was think i was like online i like to argue online okay okay that's healthy. my toxic tricks that i like arguing do you do you argue as yourself or do you have a like a no it's my it's, it's on the main account okay, okay. <laughs> i fight on the main <laughs> with anyone anyone who will have a fight i'll fight you <laughs> I like fighting. It's my toxic trait. I know it's toxic, and I'm acknowledging that. But um, I was on, uh, and I think I was arguing with someone, and someone was like, "I'm, I'm, I know people like you," and blah blah blah. And I was, like, and I remember saying something like, "You ain't never met a bitch like me." And then I was like, "Oh, that's gonna be a song. You ain't never met a bitch like me. You ain't never met a, you ain't never met a bitch." Um, so then I was like, "Let's turn it into a song," and you did. And I did. Inspired by a, a, an internet battle. Yeah, probably. How many songs do you just have like sitting on a hard drive somewhere? Like, Do you write a bunch and then choose when to put them out? Well, my friends laugh at me that I did this thing where I um I get really mad if I'm like irritated and I start writing diss tracks to like, oh. people I don't like. Wait, I love this. Are we really like, this is, you so, should release this. So I was in, I was I, I, I took, um I, I lost my car at the uh, mall over down, I was at the Crate and Barrel and I lost my car. What you, what? You it wasn't because the, the car the parking lot was so big. I didn't yeah. take a picture. I just forgot where my car was. Totally. So I'm like, I have all this stuff on this, like shopping cart from Crate and Barrel, and I cannot find it. I'm looking for over an hour, and I'm also like just walking through the parking lot, like like yelling like a diss track into my phone. But but to who? Someone the probably par- thought I was crazy. A diss track to the parking structure? No, it was. I'm not gonna say who it was too, but it was. <laughs> it was to someone I was very publicly beefing with at the time. Oh. <laughs> Oh. I don't want to drum up old. We're 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 not fighting now, but okay. This person and I were very publicly beefing at the time, and I just wrote this like distracted them in my phone. Did it help you vent? Oh yeah, it's great. It felt really good. You worked out your issue through it, maybe not with them, but on with myself. That's the most important. Yeah, right. It starts with us, and then it's exactly. Else. And maybe one day I'll uh, be able to extend an olive, an olive branch to my my. Uh, my former nemesis. No, no, she's not a nemesis. I'm just kidding. When did you know you wanted to do comedy? And was that scary? Because that is a new level of vulnerability. So my friend Dernika and Dermika Dots, and they're these twins I used to go to school with in the theater department at Mara High School in Clayton County. And um, one day, Dermika, or Dernika, I can't tell which one, because they were twins. <laughs> one of them, I don't know who was who. One of them said to me, you are the funniest person I've ever met. And I was like, wait a minute, me? <laughs> and that felt so good. I was like, oh my God, I love that. And then someone else told me on a trip, someone else was like, you're the funniest person I've ever met. I don't know anyone funnier than you. Um, so then I just, I just kind of started running with it. Like I just, I would just, so, and I was really, I've always been kind of obsessed with uh, Chris Rock yeah. and Wanda Sykes. Um, I just love them. They're my two favorite comedians. And um, I would listen to Chris Rock's Never Scared on like, I would listen to it. I would watch it like it was, like it was just a regular film. I watched it so many times, laughing every time at everything. Um, so when I moved to New York City, I when I when actually I, I started writing comedy when I was like nineteen years old. Oh wow! But I didn't perform it until I was like twenty two. So were you? What was the vessel for that comedy when you were twenty two? Was it coming out through drag? Yeah, I, I, I did actually. My first performance in stand up is also my first drag performance ever. It was at the New York Comedy Club, and I I did a night and I. And I, the joke I've been basically been writing down for years, I got on stage and I, just, I, I somehow convinced like 15 of my coworkers to come see me do stand up. 
from the Jekyll and Hyde Club I used to work at. In, uh, at uh, of course, fifty seventh and six. I w- growing up went there a bunch. That's yeah. so crazy. Are you from New York? Uh, from right outside New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I, I, pro- I was probably there. Yeah, <laughs> probably there's a chance there. that I was there working there when you came in. That's, when was the last time you went? I mean, long time ago. Like I mean, I worked there a long probably time. Probably like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand six. Yeah, I was probably there. <laughs> yeah. Nine. I started working there in two thousand eight. That's oh my god! That's and I was crazy. probably I could have been your waiter. I could have been your. I was a butler there. Oh shit! Um, like we're well, not a real butler, but like we, I was. You know, there's these Roman yeah. characters, and I was like a, a a mean butler named Mortimer Grimm, and I got to make up my own persona. That was actually kind of one of the last times I did like Roman character work, where I would like make up this entire persona for this character, and just do like hours of comedy. I mean, you'd have to do comedy for eight hours straight. So I mean, you learn. A lot yeah, about, so you get a lot of comedy out of that. Oh my god, you could apply those skills literally to anything that you do. Oh yeah, Bob included. Absolutely, absolutely. So when you're you're writing all these jokes, you go up on stage. Do you bomb the first time? No, I did a really good job. Oh, have you bombed ever? I've never bombed. <laughs> Is that horrible? I've, I've never bombed before. I, I um, but it's because maybe it's I don't know why it is, and maybe my day's coming. <laughs> Knock on wood, if you want. Maybe I'll be getting my come up as one day. <laughs> um, but you know, I I have a pretty good track record with telling jokes. That's what about you? Do you think makes you a great comedian? I think I think that I'm honest up there. You know, do and you I do it all as Bob, or do you do it as I do it out of drag sometimes too. Got it. Yeah, I do it out of drag sometimes. I I I I think it's because I one I love telling jokes, and I think I'm really funny. Like it helps that I'm selling your product that I want to consume myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I'm also a great storyteller, and I just love entertaining. I love talking to people. Do you I, write it all up? Um, the short answer is yeah. I, I mean, I've had friends help me like figure out how it, why a joke isn't working. Yeah, yeah. Is why it's not getting a great, great laugh. My friend Mateo Lane has helped me a lot with that. Um, he's a great comedian, brilliant comedian, Mateo Lane. Um, Monet Exchange has helped me out sometimes as well. So great. Um, just kind of suss out a joke. My partners help me suss out a joke. It's a team effort, really. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You have another special coming, Big Black and Queer Night. It's happening. So, so Big Black Queer Night is is a is a, is a work is a night I'm doing in conjunction with Strange Loop on Broadway. Yes. So I went to go see Strange Loop, and it was the most transformative one of the most transformative shows I've ever seen. What it is it? So, Strange Loop is a show about is a is a show about is a black queer show about a black queer person writing a black queer show. Oh, that's Inception, right? Yeah, um, I like it. And it was just a really, it was a really remarkable, really amazing night. And I kept thinking to myself, what if everyone in the audience was black and queer? Would that be so cool? So I reached out to some people I knew who were working on the show, and I said, let's try to make this happen. Let's try to get this night happening where everyone in the audience is black and queer. And um, and and that's what we're working on. So if you want to come see Strange Loop on Broadway, I'll be hosting a chat back after the show, and I'm inviting the cast to join me. Um, it'll be on October 27th um, in New York City um, at the Lyceum Theater. That's really fucking cool. Thank you. So if you're black and queer and you want to experience this magical night, please, please, please go to the Lyceum Theater October 27th. Black Queer Town Hall. This is something that you co-founded um, along with Peppermint. Yes. It's a. It, it, there's a real mission behind is it an organization is it it's a nonprofit, and our our main objective is to uplift celebrate rejoice mourn the black queer experience with other black queer people and allies and we pay uh, black queer people 
um, to come and be a part of it through performance, through community building. And we also have charity components where we give, um, where we were able to give back as well. So it's, it's, it's been really awesome. And it, it felt really amazing during the quarantine to be able to pay some people who hadn't worked in months. <laughs> people who told me, performers who were like, I've not worked in six months. I've not made a dollar. You don't know what this what this check did for me. Do you feel like there's a responsibility that comes with the success that you and Bob well, well you're having? Well, not really. I mean, I I do it because I don't feel responsible or obligated. I just do it because I want to. And I don't think everyone has that responsibility. I don't think everyone needs to go out and in in form a nonprofit and <laughs> and I don't think everyone has to do that. I remember a while back when um Taylor Swift and Beyonce weren't political. Mm. And everyone's mm. like, you have to be. And I was like, it's their business. I just know that I'm, I feel compelled to because I want to. By the way, that's the right approach, right? Nobody should feel like they have to do anything. People should want to do good things, not because it's good optics. But yeah, it's, it's like it's like the, you know, y are you a good person because you don't want to go to hell or because you just, are you a good person? <laughs> like, what's stopping you from robbing that old lady? Is it really the threat of hell? Or are you like, robbing an old lady is mean. And I shouldn't do that. That's where I'm at. That's respect. Well, thank you for, for not robbing an old lady. I think, yeah. I think the bar is too low. <laughs> Wait, you make to you used to make wallets and purses out of newspaper. Yeah, I used to, yeah I used to um, when I was in um, in high school. Duct tape wallets and and newspaper oh. wallets were really really big. Oh my god, yes. Well, how old are you? I'm 36. Okay, like we're kind of in the same yeah. generation. Well, you're, you're 29. I'm, I'm born in 1986. I, I graduated high school in 2004. I think that you were getting some residuals of what, what, <laughs> yes, I what, was. what we were doing. You walk so we can run. Exactly, Thank yeah. You. Um, duct tape uh, prom dresses were, were really big. And um, so other duct tape walls were big. And, and I would uh, take scotch tape and, and, and like basically laminate um, the funnies. <laughs> And I, and, I, and I carried a duct tape. I carried a, a Funnies wallet for oh my god for years, maybe like maybe like six years. Like just, every time I want to break, I would just make a new one <laughs> with little pockets and everything. That's really impressive. Yeah, I would always see those and not know how people made them. So yeah, I mean, I I couldn't. I I probably couldn't do it again now. I mean, maybe I could. I mean, if I could figure it out at like sixteen, yeah. I'm sure, I, at thirty six, <laughs> twenty years later, I could rustle up the you, memory. You've definitely grown since then. Yeah, you've I, definitely concocted some a uh, little bit more intense arts and crafts projects. That is true. Completely like, true. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that's even that's an understatement. What are you thinking over there, Daniel? What makes a good drag queen? I have no idea. Well, you know, to each their own. So I know for me, I love a sense of humor. I love um, a point of view. Um, you don't have to be, everyone's so obsessed with being so unique to the point where like no one's unique. Mm. Does that make any sense? Yeah. yeah. When, when I was on Drag Race, uh, we had this thing where we had to all dress up like Madonna. And, and I felt like a lot of the contestants were so focused on doing something no one else had ever thought of that six contestants ended up bringing kimonos. <laughs> because they were all, because no one wanted to do the cone bra, huh. no one wanted to do the wedding thing, because they were like, everyone's gonna do it. So six people ended up wearing kimonos, bringing kimonos, only four actually walked the runway, but six people brought kimonos, which is so wild to me. Um, but you, you have to just do, like, as long as you're selling a product that you wanna sell, like if you think you're funny, do you think you can sing? Do you like your music? Do you like your dancing? Do you wanna see your show? Would you listen to your podcast? You know what I mean? That's the standard. Is would you? Yeah, and I think that I think that what makes a good drag queen is probably the same thing that makes a good 
dancer and singer and radio host and entrepreneur in general do you find any of it difficult or does it all just kind of come naturally to you well makeup was really hard for me and i finally figured out a way to not look completely (laughs) insane um and it did not come naturally it was it was years and years and years and years of trying to get it together um but most of the performing stuff to be honest does come pretty naturally to me i um i've kind of always been a ham and just a, a a natural born performer watch bob watch those specials go if you are black and queer and want to be in this audience we're going to put a link in the description below you you're really exceptional you're one of my favorites to ever come from the, that show truly oh, well, thank you I, I we don't i i was adamant about having you on i don't know like i remember like when we started saying the email I, I forget what happened in that moment, but I was like, we need to have Bob on. We need to have Bob well, on. Well, I also am excited to say that if you really love Bob, you can also check me out on um, HBO. The third season of Huge. my show, We're Here, will be premiering on November 25th. We, we won two Emmy Awards now. This is a big deal that they've given you three seasons. Yeah. Because if we look back at television history, as they've outside of Drag Race and all the Drag Race spinoffs, that's week weirdly... That's the only consistent drag show to exist. And that Netflix show that I was obsessed with, that starred Rue, was given a season. It was AJ and the Queen? Yes. Fucking love that show. One season. Disgusting. Even Rue's talk show got like, she wasn't even drag. Like, I think five episodes, six episodes. I want to throw something. It's really hurt me. Yeah. I mean, but I'm very grateful that we have three seasons of this show. Um, and we've been able to achieve some really remarkable stuff. And I, I've said consistently that it is the best drag on TV. It is the best drag on TV. I'm going to reiterate that one more time. It is the best drag on TV. Why is that? Because we get support and we get, like when you watch Drag Race, those queens, they have support and stuff, but it's really them by themselves. But on We're Here, we have a makeup artist, we have a hairdresser, we have uh, costume designers, we have all this stuff. It, we, it really takes a community to build a queen, and we really work together to make some remarkable, amazing numbers. And not just that, but the connections that we make, mm. the, the interactions that we have with our drag kids is just really remarkable. Why do you think you were given three seasons? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think the show touches people. I think that, you know, people will say they watch the show. They're like, I was crying for an hour. And I was like, me too. But we filmed it for two weeks. Wow. I was crying the whole time. It, it's, it's, and, and we're doing something that, that has never been done on TV. You know, we have, we have episodes where we discuss things that I don't know that I've ever seen discussed on TV. Who's discussing the Kanakamahu people in, in, um, in, in, and involving their activism in Kona, Hawaii, you know, queer, indigenous Hawaiian activists who are environmental activists as well, not just queer activists. You know what I mean? Who else are we talking about? You know, uh, a trans man who who has um, quadriplegic spastic, um, I think I'm gonna, he's, I'm gonna mix it up, but he's, he has, he differently abled and is in a wheelchair and discuss what it's like to try to find love and and be a performer in a small town the, the, going through a breakup who else is talking no about no one's that? telling those stories who's talking about what it's like to be no a one. trans woman in selma alabama no one a black trans woman in selma alabama um you know being called a demon and this and that and and still prevailing no one's talking about that and i'm really really grateful that that people shared their t- their stories with us, and I'm really proud of the work we've done on that show. And 
we have two Emmys, but we deserve 40. <laughs> and it can go for a very long time. Do you see that feature for we're here? I hope so. I really hope so. I hope that we can continue to reach out to more and more people for as long as we're necessary. We are here. And if not, we're here or something like it, you know? Uh, amen. We'll put a link to that in the description below as well. Are you good? What are you thinking? No, I, I just... <laughs> Talk you, to me, Dan. You mentioned <laughs> Madonna. What was it like meeting Madonna? Oh, it was really amazing. So Madonna was also insistent that we work together. I actually first wasn't available because of my schedule. I was like, I just can't. You said you weren't available for Madonna? I just contractually I was not available when she wanted me I was just not legally able to do what she wanted me to do that must feel good it did not feel good <laughs> it felt like I was like I'm not gonna get to work with Madonna and then um, I think my, my agent was like well Madonna wants your phone number and she's gonna call you and I was like I don't know what we're gonna talk about <laughs> because I can't do the show and um, the, the skies parted and the clouds opened up and our schedules aligned literally perfectly and i was able to to help madonna with help with her show i was i was part of the creation of the show the casting of the show um the, like it was really and, and i was the host of the show i what is it like to just create with her she's really amazing i learned a, i learned a lot from madonna i learned a lot about professionalism there's a reason why madonna has 50 number ones yeah. like madonna is truly truly an icon i do not use that word um, like lightly she is she's such a hard worker she showed up every I mean every day on time and she was dressed to the nines when we had to be dressed you know she didn't ask us to do anything she wasn't willing to do she rehearsed in her corset and her heels like she's really fierce that's and, I, and her and her son um David was really took a liking to me, and, and it felt like I, I was in like the like the like the Big Brother program. <laughs> Maybe you could star as Madonna in that biopic. You know, I think they've already cast someone. <laughs> but are you under contractual obligations somewhere else? You can't even take. I, I can't. I can't take the role as Madonna in the bio. I wonder what it's gonna be called. I think it'll be called Vogue. It's gotta oh, be called Vogue. That's a good. Or maybe name. Material Girl. I, Material Girl, Vogue, Frozen. No, I can't be called Frozen. Right. Mm. Frozen's not a good name because there's also a a, huge movie called Frozen (laughs) have you heard of it Elsa Mickey Mouse you auctioned off your memorabilia from Drag Race I did and I regret it any Drag Race girls do not do it because I didn't get the money I deserved for it and I I went back and bought most of it back I hunted it down shut up and paid more than paid a lot I could have just donated the money that I made for those cl- for those <laughs> items back. I, I think back then Drag Race wasn't quite what it is now, yeah. so it wasn't fetching the amount of money I wanted. But I, I was able to hunt down my purse first dress and the purse, the the first challenge, and I paid a lot more than they pay for it <laughs> to wor- get it back. But worth it? It was worth it. It's, it's framed and it's in my living room right now. That's that's wild. You're part of history, my friend. Is is that I the, guess so? Is that the purse that you're talking about in purse first? That's the very one. Mm-hmm. Curtains, paper, and a wish. I said in the song, and and and, uh, and you know that 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 purse is uh, taking me very far, and it has further to take you. Yeah, hopefully we'll see. We're gonna put a bunch of links in the description below. Please, please, please give them some clicks. Listen to Bob the Drag Queen's music too on Amazon Music. Uh, final thoughts, Daniel. Well, if we're gonna play bitch like me, I just Duh. have a question about the lyric. Uh, don't watch football, but this a home run. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> That is where my um where my my sense of humor definitely bleeds over into my into my and a lot of people would go wait what 
Obviously, there's no there's no home runs in football, but I just <laughs> I just love that lyric. Was it? How long did it take you to put? This Can I say anything I want on this? Like, is there a language barrier? No. One of my favorite lyrics in the, in the song that no one ever gets is a uh, more late nights than a nigga named Jimmy, um, because I work a lot of late nights because I because between stand up and and the drag shows yeah. and everything, and also Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon host late night shows, <sighs> so the lyric is more late nights than a nigga named Jimmy, mm. which I'm very proud of that line too. Man, I'm a dumbass. I just thought of like Jimmy John's. No. I was like, what the hell is he rapping? That, that makes way more sense than what I thought. Should we listen to it? Yeah. Bob the Drag Queen, everybody. I really appreciate you giving us your time and energy today. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey, hey, beautiful human. You made it through our conversation with Bob the Drag Queen. A big thanks to Bob for hanging out and a big thanks to GoPuff for delivering this interview to you and the biggest of thank yous to you for putting up with us today and allowing us into your ears. It really means a lot. Please subscribe to our podcast, share it with those you care about and have an amazing day. I'll talk to you real soon. Be safe, hug your family if you can, remind them that you love them and keep listening to music because it helps make the world go round. Peace and love. By the way, today's episode is made possible by a few incredible humans, including our executive producers, Michael D. Ratner, Scott Ratner, Dylan Martyr, Dan Zola, Joshua Rusak, and Olivia Rudensky. Our senior director, Toby Lawless. Our associate producers, Eve Bishop and Claudia Villarreal. Our music is by James Asciutto. Our editor is Camera Carlos Gomez. Our sound mixer is Daniel Chavez-Crook. Our post-production manager is Caroline Rude. And I'm your host and executive producer, Zach Sang. Thanks for hanging out with us today. I'll talk to you real soon.